I'm I was editing the podcast yesterday and uh, literally fell asleep on my computer. Wonderful, normal, laid back. Nice. Unionized, unionized podcasters. <laughs> in my in my honest opinion. <laughs> we need what we need to do is we need Riley is not letting himself unionize <laughs> because he's because he's he's boss CEO mindset. He needs to be flexible. <laughs> exactly. We need to be able to innovate. Um, uh, but we had a live show and that was cool. Yeah, that was fine. Um, didn't didn't get booed. We had more than ten people show up. That was um, unexpected. only one of them was your cousin. Mm. So <laughs> that was good. Uh, that's that's the Raheem London. Um, what about what about America? Is everybody everybody in America feeling safe? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm in San Francisco, so I feel I feel pretty safe. It's not not very not very gunny place. <laughs> Well, I mean, I I get shot on a daily basis, but that's fine because it uh, gives me an iron supplement to my vegan diet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the that's that's the best way to counteract soy is with this <laughs> it's a steady diet of lead from an AR-15, which does not stand for assault rifle. So all of those murdered people are are actually fine. Matt, is it this, wasn't an assault rifle. Is this why I hear you now carry several tactical pistols at all time with laser sights in order to fend off the libs? Uh, no, I just drive around in a giant gun. Ah, that, that also <laughs> works. I think that's called a tank, isn't it? Yeah, and the way that it moves forward is, is that you the, the barrels are... Po- Pointed backwards, so when you fire it, it goes forward from the recoil. Oh yeah, what what has our favorite manga artist been up to? You know, we don't know much about Ben Garrison. Yeah, he hides in the shadows. Apparently, he was the director of a very famous anime called Neon Genesis Evangelion. I've heard that, but we're not sure. Yeah. Um, but he did, he did, he did, a, he did a bit today. He did a bit this week. He wrote, he did his cartoon, and it shows a young, it shows like a young guy holding a gun. He's at a crossroads, and like every time you approach a crossroads, he has two options to go with. So on the left, it's a sign that says school with no armed officers and on the other side it, it says school with armed officers and the caption is if you were a school shooter what school would you go to um because as we all know school shooters are incredibly rational people and well, when and about- also there was a armed officer at the school that just got shot up but didn't you see what trump said he he was <laughs> he was a coward he, um, <laughs> yeah but, I mean, what are okay? He was a coward. How are you? Are you going to do a coward screening for all of these people you're arming to put into schools? <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> how are you supposed to know how these 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 doughy suburban, basically glorified mall cops are going to respond to showing somebody showing up with a gun? You have no way of knowing how they're going to fucking respond. I don't know how. I don't know what this armed. I know there's like apparently been pictures of this guy who was supposed to be the armed cop at the school looks like. But I don't, I don't know what he looks like. So in my head, all I'm seeing is like Paul Blart on his like scooter. Basically, because when it was discovered that he he just stood outside while it was happening, he immediately retired. So <laughs> he's an older gent. One of the things one of one of the things that I found remarkable about the Trump press conference this week. Um, was that he like just very blatantly said about so when he was like this whole idea about arming teachers, he said something along the lines of like really talented you know really talented teachers will be able to stop school shooters as if like the point of being a talented teacher. Yeah, that would put a new slot well, on Dead Poets Society. Is, is, as we know from this cop who was on the campus and didn't do anything it needs more than training you need to be willing to run in and shoot somebody which means that there's two basic groups of people you're going to be able to arm to go into a school they're either going to be guys like this this deputy who look like they're actual you know deterrent but it turns out not too keen on walking up to somebody with a assault rifle or you get people who are dying for that to happen who are the ones most likely to shoot somebody for dropping their backpack or something like that. <laughs> so those are your two options. You give it to sort of uh, like easygoing, puff, 
uh, pudgy dads, when you have no guarantee that they're going to be willing to throw down when the time comes, or you give it to the most unstable, eager-to-kill maniacs you can find, which seems like it would cause its own set of problems, to put it lightly. Oh, if you had a, if you had a school guarded by those maniacs... Uh... Yeah, if you had a school guarded by those maniacs, it would quickly become the subject of one of those like right-wing, hard-on articles like, the most disciplined school in America. See how well-behaved these children are. And then there's one child like, I didn't do my French homework and I was kneecapped. And it was like, just as it should be. Like the good old days. <laughs> oh, good. Excellent. Well, I guess the gun crisis will never be solved. <laughs> there, is, there is nothing we can do about it because of freedom. Because... Because people are just, because you can't limit freedom in any way, and if there was a law against it, then someone would find a way to break it, so let's just surrender to fucking chance. A bald eagle shedding a single tear as a, as a child with his last breath says, I've never felt so free. Oh, uh, anyway, shall we get into uh, some of the, the patented content? I'm not allowed to look at the content, even Boys and girls. on the screen, so. How do we feel about that? Yeah. Should we introduce the show first? Yeah, well, that was that was my plan, Miley. Good We've idea. done this for dozens of episodes, yeah. and we never get this right. <laughs> we've, we've, we've literally never gotten it right, and maybe this will. Maybe next time will be the time. Maybe on our one year anniversary, we can finally do the introduction properly. It's a bit like the school shootings, really. If only there was some way to prevent this. <laughs> no, I don't see one. I'm too free. I mean, the only solution would be for all of us to be armed, <laughs> right? So you can shoot me every time I yeah. flub the intro. <laughs> Good. Create a sense of tension. <laughs> It'll come out in the audio quality. And as we know, pressure makes diamonds. So. Uh, welcome, finally. <laughs> oh, no. To- that sounds like a Jay Shetty tweet. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Trash Future, the podcast for how the future is trash, or if will continue to be trash if we don't adopt fully automated luxury gay space communism. My name is Riley. You can find me on Twitter at Rala. Uh, my name's Hussein. Uh, you can follow me at H Kazvani. Jump the gun. Two and our, our two two denizens of the bowl today in the, the great the great, great liberal country. states of America. Yeah, uh, America, I think you'll find. <laughs> The, uh, the, the lib state. Uh, so the, the less interesting of the two, uh, me, uh, on every episode of this podcast, Milo Edwards. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Milo underscore Edwards. I have a hangover. Okay, I'm Matt Crisman. Hello, everyone. I've just never introduced myself when I've guested on a podcast, so I'm okay. a little thrown. Would, would you rather we intro to you? No, we're no, like fine. I just, I didn't know that's how they did it across the pond. <laughs> But I'm Matt Crispin from the podcast. Is this a violation of your rider? Trap House, that's me. Oh, wonderful. Uh, yeah, that's, this is, we have a number of traditions across the pond. Uh, many of them are to do with us extracting free labor from our podcast guests. You know, <laughs> um, because we don't let them unionize. We can just make them introduce themselves. Yeah. Oh, good. Excellent. Okay, so product time. Yes. Uh, I, have, I have here in front of me. Uh, a a product that I will uh, ask you guys what you think this is. Uh, Matt, I've actually picked this one especially uh, for you. Um, I th- and I think this will. I'm, I'm I wonder. It may make you. It may make you angry. If it does, I'm sorry in advance. All right, I'm bracing myself. All right, I'm girding my loins. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> Crocs. Oh, it's the sh- the shoes. Crocs. Ordinarily, we we reserve this for really, really stupid products, and Crocs normal are very comfortable and good footwear. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Like, so I, my, my first instinct is Wi-Fi enabled. Wait, hang on. So is the name? Wait, is the name of this thing actually Crocs? But it's just an unrelated product. Uh, is that what I'm supposed to understand from okay. this? Okay. It is. Uh, it, the the full name is leather Crocs and condom socks. That's the title of one of my Facebook albums. <laughs> wow, you've actually really stumped me on this one. Yep. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, does it have anything to do with Wi-Fi or Bluetooth? Uh, no, this is... Uh, in, uh, of, the, of the two things that we deal with, sort of the, the technological and the sort of pointlessly fancy, 
Uh, <laughs> this is one of the latter. Okay, so it's a pointlessly fancy croc. Uh, okay, so it's a it's a it's a croc that also acts as a condom uh, for when for when you're you're having you're having sex with a woman who is blind. Unfortunately, none of that is is quite right. Uh, and just because of the because of the nature of this thing, I'm going to dive right in more to the actual description. Uh, the premium leather Crocs, featuring Hender Schemes' famed leather craftsmanship and Goodyear welt technique, are the major key piece from this year's collection. Perfect for when you have your kids' soccer game at 3 p.m., but a meeting at 4 p.m. Wait, are they perfect for the boardroom and the yacht? Room and the yacht. Yeah, not to mention the discotheca. <laughs> I would wear Crocs to the discotheca. Oh, no, Matt, I picked this because I know you're a croc aficionado. The reason I sort of picked this is that this is essentially a version... Like, how much is a normal croc? One of them? That would be odd. I've never priced single ones. No, a pair of them, I think I bought... It depends if we're talking salt water or fresh water. I bought my pair for, I think, something like $20. Okay. Relatively reasonable. Nice round number. Reasonable. Yeah. Um, But what... What what do we think like a like a premium like a premium leather croc that's perfect for taking your kid to the soccer game and then going to a meeting throughout the course of an afternoon, maybe, possibly a discotheca later? Maybe fifty dollars. Fifty dollars. Uh, I mean, I really value that kind of convenience and luxury, so I'm going to say five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say five hundred. I reckon I reckon this is this is for the everyman, this shoe. This isn't for the elites. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is affordable this is a, this is affordable style. Uh well I this is the thing, is like this is this proven very hard to find, but I've taken an average of all of Hender Scheme's other shoes. It's this this Japanese company. Um and it looks as though a, this pair of crocs is probably gonna on average run you between eight and nine hundred pounds. Which, in a move, wow, Oof, my own, yeah, yeah, seems like a deal to me. <laughs> <laughs> See, we don't have a Patreon, so we uh, no, we we only have crypto kitties, and we're not actually sure how much those crypto kitties are worth. Last I checked, it was anywhere between like ten dollars and ten thousand dollars. But oh, you know, you know. <laughs> even one of them, as, as, yeah. as Jay Shetty was saying, and either anywhere between a, a yeah. one square inch of a Hender Scheme leather croc. And several pairs of Hender Scheme leather Crocs. The, the reason that this that this struck me so much is I, I just I think it proves one of the like um, also got condom socks that that never really never made clear. It seems to just be bright colored socks that come in condom style wrappers, which um, I guess that's part of what you get for like two thousand dollars. <laughs> um, but what, what is, the only condom a Croc user will ever need. But what? What makes what what makes this sort of jump out to me is like it it I think it it does kind of almost sort of prove not prove in any kind of real sense but it sort of I think it lends something to I think one of our show's main contentions which is that a state of extreme inequality produces less and less rational products as the marginal value of every dollar goes down for like a smaller and smaller number of people with a stupid amount of buying power and. You'll end up with you know several months rent, uh, but for a pair of what can only be described as ironic shoes. Speak, speak for yourself, mate. Like I'm gonna go buy myself a pair, yeah. and then I can't believe that they're actually recommending that you wear them with socks. That's what I find most upsetting <laughs> about this. That's how I wear them. Yeah, but the thing is, is that I did not get the Croc because if I had any preference for them as a shoe. I had bought a pair of loafers. And while I was wearing them, I realized very quickly that they were creating a very drastically enlarged blister in the the back of my foot that exploded all over the place. And I put a Band-Aid on it, and I tried to let it heal, but they were the shoes I was wearing, and every, I couldn't basically wear the shoes without this thing rubbing against this very, very sore, open wound. So I needed a shoe that would allow my heel to be 
not rubbed against. And I have a personal oath that I will never wear sandals of any kind. So the only thing that kind of fit the bill of leaving the heel exposed without technically being sandals were Crocs. So I only got them medicinally. They had a medical purpose to them. <laughs> and they are, I will admit they're comfortable, but I don't wear them that much now. Uh, mm. Now that I, now that I'm healed up, yeah. <laughs> now that you're, this is that's actually this is actually the trash future <laughs> infomercial. This is how we uh, monetize the no, podcast. That's how, like, you know, Infowars has their pills, but we sell we yeah. um we advertise Crocs. Well, what then? What really strikes me as hilarious is that it appears as though for a massive premium, you can get rid of the element of that sh- of your shoe that will not have you get blisters. <laughs> Uh, because I, I can't see a universe in which someone paying for this wouldn't get blisters. But I guess I think the thing I'm trying to drive to with this, I, I suppose, is, is this like, is this, is, is, there is just this very, very strange like fetish. And you see it quite a bit in like everything from like food culture to now fucking multi-thousand dollar Crocs is this weird fetishization of, of stuff that is supposed to be cheap. Um, but it's and, and sort of turned into a luxe product. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're really, uh, nobody's making any new ideas. Nobody can do a new thing. So all you can do is sort of slowly march down the cultural ladder and, and exoticize and make, make luxury every element of it going all the way down. Because there's just, we're, we've run out of ideas. We're just kind of waiting around to die, and so, uh, yeah. If 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 having a viable retail model is entirely predicated on taking money from people who basically have forgotten what money means because they have so much of it, <laughs> that you yeah you just make everything uh, leather or Wi-Fi enabled, or you throw some if it's food you deconstruct it and throw some throw some uh, truffle oil in there. Or you make it just hazardous for human consumption, like raw water. <laughs> well, the um, so 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 the marketplace of ideas is actually a failure. Shocking, I know. I know. So all the YouTube videos that I've been watching, they were lying to me. Well, it's like um, it's like you. I don't imagine I, my I don't shock. Guys, I don't know if you guys saw this either, but like, um, McDonald's today announced that they're now bringing back Szechuan sauce in every outlet uh, in unlimited quantities. uh, And they're releasing a podcast series about the initial Szechuan sauce debacle. Finally, a triumph for the smartest people on earth. So this is the Szechuan sauce that came as the result of very smart, intelligent show Rick and Morty, right? Uh, Yeah, the genius show. The genius show. Um, and it caused lots of it caused like lots of like mid late twenties people to like riot outside of McDonald's because they wanted that sauce. I, without without sort of going for too much podcast intertextuality, uh, Matt, I'm aware that this is this that, that this phenomenon has in the past sort of given you one of your many aneurysms. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty dispiriting the whole deal about the Szechuan sauce, and now them turning it into a chance to be a me. I mean, everyone makes fun of brands trying to be cool on Twitter by using slang and, you know, talking about how their nuggets are fleek or whatever, but they really does seem like you're crossing a very terrifying Rubicon to have a fucking podcast. Like that is, that is, that is the machine taking human form. That That's, that's like Skynet becoming self-aware where it's just, we're not just going to use slang that the kids like to try to sound relatable. We're going to actually have some of our people be like, hey, uh, you know, check out our SoundCloud link. Uh, we don't know if we'll do another one, but it was fun to record this one, everybody. So this week, McDonald's launched a podcast. Logan Paul launched a podcast. We've got some competition, boys. Fuck. We've got some competition. Yeah, but I, there was an, interest, there's an interesting point, like on a very serious note, because... I don't know, Matt, if you know what's happening over in the UK. Um, but the big news of, I guess, this week was that a load of KFCs closed down. Um, yes, I heard about that. Um, you know, so uh, KFC are kind of saying that now everything's fine, but they took out an advertisement 
um, in some of like the country's big newspapers, basically saying, you know, we're sorry, it's never going to happen again. Like, you know, they and everyone was sort of like, you know, praising this really smart, sleek campaign by KFC to um, basically like capitalize off like a fucking like outsourcing failure. Um, one that's probably like one that like I've, I, I it was reported a couple of years ago when this outsourcing company was um, contracted by KFC because of like the job losses that came from the outsourcing proportion of it. Um, but one of like the bits of the very scary subtext was that KFC was really able to like capitalize off this really major fucking corporate failure, right? And what it ultimately showed was that, you know, places like KFC um, have, you know, they've reached a point where people like have literally said online, but like, I cannot live without you, right? That's kind of the message that kind of came across from this. And the marketing people at KFC were really able to kind of like nail that down. And I think that sort of feeds into, you know, what, you know, we had just been talking about with like McDonald's and the idea of like the Szechuan sauce and building cultures around like this dedication to these like really ghoulish corporate brands who yeah. like hate their it's stuff. Like from Neville, Neville Cheeseborough set himself on fire in front of his local KFC when he couldn't get his zinger meal. It's, well, it's, sorry, folks. We're a cute, sad company whom going through a lot right now. Give us, give us patience, please. <laughs> Even you can see like millennials, the, just like us. Yeah, no, that's the thing. <laughs> just going through some stuff. KF, <laughs> KFC is a millennial company. It still lives with Colonel Sanders. <laughs> You saw, like, even then they, they released an ad that just said FCK on the bucket. Yeah. It's like, oh, they, well, they, they almost swore. But they didn't they, even notice. Yeah. They, they say they'll do better next time. Like, someone who, like, you know, does, like, a, an, an, acrostic, uh, an acrostic tweet that spells out a slur. Like, ah, mm. sorry. But it's just, like, it's, it's sort of remarkable that, like, no one in the kind of mainstream conversation was really talking about, like, is how... Like, because this was the result of, like, an outsourcing company, right? And no one knows the story. No, no one... Like, I didn't know this story. Yeah, no one really knows the story of, like, why the hell this, like, outsourcing company really fucked up, right? Like, was it a distribution problem? Was it, like, you know, I have a feeling there's actually to do with, like, you know, employee, like, employee strikes. But no one knows this story. And this is, like, coming a few weeks after the whole, like, Carillion thing where everyone was talking about outsourcing and how, like, fucked up outsourcing is. So the way that, like, we treat, you know, government and infrastructure projects, we're not necessarily applying that to, like, these companies and these organizations who not only, like, are used every day, but actually have, like, a lot of, you know, arguably a lot more cultural power than, you know, Carillion-based companies, right? Like, and that's how, like, these PR people and all these advertisers can really, you know, capitalize off this conversation. They kind of say, you know, distract away from, like, the failures of, like, this sort of, like, shitty you know, late capitalist bullshit. Like, every time this, this happens, uh, I, I always go back to a dorm. I think, I think more and more of just fucking um, uh, uh, Guy Debord, right? I, I yeah. know you like your French Marxist. Well, yeah, everything, everything is just an advertisement for its own existence. Like, yeah. all these things just, all these all these currents of, of media that we kind of think of as differentiated are really just one sort of one long held note of sort of self-reference and self justification. Welcome to my Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> I think then that, that leads us, I think to this, to, I, I, and this, we accidentally did are doing like a whole, our whole first segment on like delicious treats. Um, but the, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but uh, well, I, if I know you guys have seen this because we talked about it, <laughs> um, there is a movie that is going to be made about flaming hot Cheetos. Like a, like a hero, a hero film about the creation of flaming hot Cheetos. You know, if we're entering like a new cinematic universe where we basically lionize CEOs, mm-hmm. then at some point we're going to wait for like a free part Elon Musk biopic, right? I'm, su- I'm surprised they haven't. Have they made that? I mean, um, well, no. Actually, this is, this is the cinematic universe we're going towards, right. which is again going going back to my some of my favorite European Marxists. Is there's going to be one movie every year? It's going to be like seven days long, and it's going to have all your favorite characters in it. It's going to have Captain America. It's going to have Homer Simpson. It's going to have fucking Subway Jared because that's now a cute reference. <laughs> it's going to have. 
it's gonna it's gonna, there's gonna be a version of of the of the Avengers where like Hank Hill is involved because all of these companies it's gonna have big fancy shirts. There's gonna be a human centipede of every actor who's played Colonel Sanders in a commercial. It's I'd watch that. But one of them's a woman, so it's good. Oh yeah, the no, end. It's... be respectful. She's the last person in the, the centipede. She is the Ur yeah. Colonel. Does that mean she goes at the front of the centipede or at the back? I guess that's a good question. Yeah, she'd want to be at the front. You always want to be at the front of the centipede. That is that's the best gig. And you know, that's why I'm not a big fan of unions, because that usually ends up just being seniority. It's not who's the best person in the centipede, it's who's been in the centipede the longest. That's not fair. It, it reduces <laughs> my incentive to be a productive when I can't work my way to the front of the centipede. I, I cannot wait until the point where we can write think pieces about why um, people of color should be at the front of the human centipede. Um, I cannot wait for this part of the yeah. discourse. Well, it's, you can't, un, well, in many ways, the worst thing about the human centipede was the first in, first out rule. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, our human centipede is going to be dynamic and innovative, so a union's not right for it. Um, you know, this, uh, basically, the, the, the Flaming Hot Cheetos film... Uh, is Elon Musk is going to make a, make a human centipede that will go into space, won't he? Yeah, but everyone's going to be wearing shirts that say, like, the cake is a lie, or 42, or, you know, like, fucking... It'll be cute and yeah. edgy. It's going to be, a, no, everyone's going to be, like, have, like, cat Lulls makeup with on. a U. Elon Musk is going to make a human centipede where everyone has to wear cat makeup. <laughs> How that's going to go. Um, but no, this, uh, this, this thing is um, a story about how Richard Montanez was this, the guy who invented it, this, this thing, was the son of an, an, an immigrant who grew up as a migrant farm worker in the grape fields of Southern California, got a job as a janitor at the Frito-Lay plant in a town called Rancho Cucamonga uh, in 76 after dropping out of high school, uh, and then one day watched a video from the Frito-Lay president that asked Montanez and his fellow employees to, quote, act like an owner. The way, like... You can, it's almost like you can, you can see ex- from just even from this little, this, these couple sentences exactly what this film is going to be. It's going to be, A, an advertisement for um, Flaming Hot Cheetos and the system that continues to produce them. But it also is going to be lionizing a useful immigrant, someone we shouldn't kick out because he came in and gave us an, a new way to clog our arteries. What I want to know is who's going to play the Flaming Hot Cheeto? <laughs> There's one guy I have in mind, but he's busy being the president right now. <laughs> Whoa, Trevor Noah. It's going to be played by a human centipede of like uh, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, and uh, Paul Ryan. Of course. Jared Leto will be Machito. No, I told you it's Subway Jared. <laughs> Oscar winning Subway, Subway Jared. Well, this Lando. is basically yeah. Oscar winning. The it's, cable's uh, called it's, Oscar. It's it's eight mile for CEO mindset gamers, isn't it? It's like uh, his palms, his palms are greasy, knees weak, mouse is heavy. There's Cheetos on his sweater already, starring Jay Shetty. Yeah, well, it's the but what really catches me about this is the speech where the owner of, the, of Frito-Lay says, act like an owner, right? Like, act like an owner. You're not going to get paid like an owner, mm. but please do go ahead and act like one. Nope. I mean, this is what's happening, like, Jay Shetty. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's a typo. It says, act like a boner. <laughs> like, this is, like, something that comes out of Jay Shetty's videos, right? Which is, like, if you act like a CEO, then you will become a CEO. Right, but like, what the fuck do owners do? He just he coated some Cheetos with chili powder one day, disrupting Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, it, it sort of spoke with a spoke with the president of the company's secretary, and then said, you know, I had two weeks to prepare a presentation for the con- for the for the company's executives. Um, I made a trip to the library and a bought one a, slide presentation. Borrowed a book on business strategies, <laughs> bought his first ever tie, and then you know, boldly went to go and, and, and sell the idea to the company's executives. Wait, so this guy was able to get a copy of Gorilla Mindset. If, if something comparative happened to now, it'd be done by, by a zero-hours worker um, who wouldn't have actually any rights of ownership anyway. He didn't, is the thing. Yeah, but the thing is, is that he doesn't get any extra money for making the Cheetos, but when they do the 
the merchandising from the movie, he gets a percentage of his own plush figures and Funko Pops. Um, I was hoping this was going to be one of those like dark rags to riches back to rags biopics, you know, like where he like gets rich, but then he goes like mad with power. Um, and you know, his wife leaves him and he gets addicted to like opiate painkillers and then he gambles away all his money on greyhounds. And then one day he's just in like a Seven Eleven, and there's like a gamer buying a pack of flaming hot Cheetos. And he's like, you know, I actually invented those. And they're like, shut up, old man. <laughs> Cut to black. Well, what they did is he, they, is he is an executive now of the company he once worked as a janitor for and spearheads the marketing team. Um. And he says he believes his courage to seize opportunities stems from his humble beginnings. He said, the an- he said quote, I quote here, the antidote to fear is hunger. When you have hunger for a job position, knowledge, or a new house, you go and get it, and fear will never get a hold of you. Jesus Christ. There's- That's not true. When I'm scared of things, being hungry wouldn't help at all. <laughs> like, if someone's like, oh, yeah, do this bungee jump. Like, the last thing I want to be is like also starving hungry. <laughs> be like, no, I'm not doing either of these things. Bring me a burger. But it's like, it's like how loaded with ideology is that? <laughs> um, but if it was true, if the antidote to fear was really hungry, it, it really hungry, then like actually like all of London's homeless people should be like, you know, brain billionaire CEOs, right? Well, no, but what we have to do is all of, all of the homeless people who are very hungry, mm. give them guns and put them in schools. I mean, you laugh, but you, you, may, you joke about that, but it probably will happen. It's the, right, it's, it is just this idea that the only thing standing between, like, you know, you and material success is that, and we, we come across this all the time, is you don't want it enough. You just have to want it and want it and want it and want it so bad the desire for it just consumes you, and before you know it, you're renting a fucking book on entrepreneur, entrepreneur brain, and putting you know, chili dust on Cheetos, and so you you know don't have to starve to death. That's essentially it's it's that's congratulations. You put chili dust on Cheetos. Now you don't have to starve to death. Also, you were a good immigrant. But also, like the funny thing about this is that like this type of food is very common in like parts of South Asia where there are lots of poor people because like the way that you kind of keep, you know, so one of the things that, you know, in Gujarat, which is where my family comes from, um, you know, the poor people that are over there, like the way that they make food to basically sustain themselves for a day is through like, you know, this type of this thing called chevro, which is like, you know, small kind of bits of like fried potato, um, which they sprinkle with like chili powder, right? And they mix it up. And the reason why they put chili powder on it is that the chili is, is supposed to like suppress the hunger. Right, so then you work for longer, and you can like sustain yourself using that. It's not a food that you enjoy. It's not a food that like, you know, it's a food that you need to survive because you're so fucking poor that you can't do anything else, or you can't eat anything else, and like your only good meal like is reserved for the night. Right. So the fact, you know, uh, so it's sort of like I, I was thinking about this, and just like it's just sort of bizarre how you know what is effectively like a really similar meal like occupies very different cultural spaces in different countries. I think I will go see the film. Um, but I'll only go see the film if Jared Leto is the Cheeto. Uh, I'll probably see, wait, for, wait to see that one at home. I'll probably stream that one. Probably not going to go to the theater. Yeah. Downloading it illegally is the moral thing to do. You wouldn't, you wouldn't download a car, so why would you download the Cheeto film? Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's... I guess that that's the that's the up that's that's the the update in. Oh, that's the cops. The cops. <laughs> that's, that's the cops. Cop, cops coming for bad bad the podcast. podcast They're coming to arrest you for defaming a brand. One second, I just need to I just need to, need to email my actual boss. But please continue. Okay, well, why don't we take this opportunity to uh, take a quick break and then uh, come back in a second to discuss uh, ways in which you know maybe. People accidentally, people have done praxis in the past and resisted, you know, uh, being sucked under into the into the world of flaming hot Cheetos and you know brand banter and extremely expensive poor people theme shoes.
in terms of podcast natural enemies, it's you guys in Pod Save America, right? Yeah, we're we're sort of fighting for the soul of the non-chud American electorate, essentially. It's it's three people that you're contesting, basically. Well, it's like it's what, there's like te- there's like seven never Trump Republicans in Northern Virginia, and then you know the the but the, and then sort of a, like the sort of pickled Chardonnay moms, and then who really is who really is up for grabs between you guys? I think it's I think it's most people who are just genuinely alienated and horrified by the government. Uh, and then they either say, then they're, they want to fight against it. And there's sort of two groups of people. One of them is saying, well, the problem is this bad political party. And meanwhile, there's these good guys called the Democrats who, if we support them and their efforts to, uh, you know, prosecute Russian intervention and, and make, uh, get bipartisan solutions for healthcare, we're going to make everything good again because basically Obama was great. And we should just get back to that. And then us saying the Democratic Party is as much responsible for the current hell world as the Republicans. And we have to radically expand the idea of what's possible if we're going to make anything long, uh, viable in the long term that isn't just a continued descent into degradation at every level. So, yeah, so we're, we're any, it, it starts from the people who sort of, Feel like they want to do something. They want to, They want something to change. And then those are sort of the two relatively, I guess, at this point, mainstream audio uh, companions to your worldview on how to fix it. Yeah, I mean, the Democrats are increasingly like the Avengers, right? Like cobbling together an increasingly farcical combination of everyone you've ever heard of, and now, interestingly, Oprah Winfrey to sort of combat this like weird cartoon evil. And all of the worst malefactors of the Bush years, also part of that motley crew, like Bill Kristol and David Frum and people with literal with blood all over their hands. (laughs) David Frum. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I, I made out with his daughter once. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yes, I literally did. You have to tell this story. You have to tell it. Um, it's well. There's, unfortunately, there's 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 not much to it because that makes you like that makes you that makes you that make, that makes you like a from. You're a collaborator. <laughs> <laughs> if I kiss the daughter of a from, does that make me a from? Yes, it like one hundred percent does. Um, unfortunately. That's why me and Hussein are on our Lysistrata-style, uh, you know, sex strike. It's to avoid collaborating with the Chuds. I, I, unfortunately, there's not really much to much to say. Like she was um, around uh, my university, and then you know we sort of we met it up at a party and sort of ended up ended up sharing a sharing a wee snog, as they say in Britain. As we say, well, I don't know what to say about Britain. Did is it she, they did, or we? Did she like slowly whisper into your ear, the Iraq war was good? <laughs> no, she, um, she, it was, it was, it was a really bizarre experience. Uh, she's since, <laughs> she's since at some point then moved to Israel for, according to the Facebook update, uh, reasons connected to Zionism. Uh, David Frum's daughter, please, <laughs> please call Riley. Uh, it's been a long time. We just want to know if you're okay. Son-in-law. God. Um, but uh, so, Matt, there was one one thing you were telling us about how when um, about when there was the lion lay down with the lamb and uh, Felix Biederman went on an episode of Pod Save America. Well, it wasn't Pod Save America. It's a spinoff podcast that John Lovett has called Love It or Leave It, which is apparently a, like a panel game show. For him and his uh, half-wit Hollywood friends to, to like kind of do wait, wait, don't tell me jokes. And we were at a pod festival, podcast festival in Las, Ve- Los Angeles, and he, they were doing it too. And they'd been sort of, him and Felix been, been sort of cordial on Twitter, so they invited him to come on. And like most podcasts, that show is generally about an hour long. But Felix's episode, if you find it, is about 45 minutes. Because they cut out almost everything he said. 
<laughs> they pulled a, they pulled like the rock bottom interview with Homer Simpson on him. I mean, it's a very like demon. <laughs> but just so apparently, I was I really wished I'd been there because apparently he made people very uncomfortable. There's one point where he just flatly said Iran should have a nuke, and the entire crowd gasped in unison. That didn't make it into the sh- into the show. The, you know what the weird thing is though, right? <laughs> like. The last person I, I, I know sort of as a foreign policy thinker who is a strong advocate for Iran getting a nuke is Kenneth Waltz, one of the most sort of conservative, reactionary, like, you know, like neocon dumbass motherfuckers who wrote this like theory Inventor of international of the theory of international politics in 1979, which was just this for those of our readers who haven't been studied international relations the dumbest non-science um, is just, it's, it's a basically a text on how nothing matters. There is no such thing as ideology. The only thing that creates international political systems is kind of the fact of anarchy and then the balance of power between countries. Nothing else matters at all. I don't think Iran is any less uh, rational than any of the countries that do have nukes. No, it's so. not. It, it would be very rational for Iran to get a nuke. Yeah. Um, it's we just, should just, it's yeah, just, we should just smuggle them one. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is to our listeners. Uh, stop sending us crypto kitties and start <laughs> sending us nukes via Iran. <laughs> um, no, it's it's so I just crowdfunding the Iranian nuclear program. <laughs> All I'm saying, right, is that trash future is Sistani praxis. <laughs> well, I'm going to plug my computer in. Okay, so now I get to lead the show. Great. Um, shit, what do I do? Um, no one will ever be able to understand our complex thoughts. Okay. We are back. So that's a. Uh, I, I just. I just. I just. I. I love the idea of um, Felix advocating a nuclear armed Iran to like a group of people who've come to see Nira Tandon make like half of a joke and then it's like twenty minutes of soaring oratory about how America's better than Trump despite the fact that America elected Trump. <laughs> so one of the, one of the reasons uh, that uh, we sort of Matt's here with us today is largely because. He, actually, he knows that, yes, <laughs> um, that a, re- a, a, a reference from Hegelbond and also the fact that um, that he actually knows about stuff that's happened in the past, which, which I don't know if you guys have read, read some freaking Orwell, but <laughs> he who controls the past <laughs> controls the future. And that's from Orwell, the inventor of freedom. I mean, I've browsed some Wikipedia pages. <laughs> Yeah, that's the um, that's, that's like, good enough for me. I mean, look, that's how you get a first at the University of York. So <laughs> I, I what, this look, this is one of my favorite, one of my sort of favorite historical movements that I'm I'm broadly aware of. But there is this basically, I, I just I, I am very much in love with the idea of of the Luddites. Um, and, and I was I was hoping I could hear a little more about the Wikipedia pages of, of these people. Yeah. Well. Uh... Hold on, let me pull it up here. Is that the Luddites were a group of English textile workers and weavers in the 19th century who destroyed weaving machinery as a form of protest. That's from the first line of... uh, Wait a minute, apparently, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Luddite is an EP by Grotius, released in 1992 by Spirit Music Industries. Shit. (laughs) No. The Luddites were were stalkers, people who who were skilled weavers, who were being displaced by machinery that was allowing for the the uh, sort of mass production of, of textiles, and fearing for the end of their livelihoods, they took to this is roughly during during the Napoleonic era in England in the, like the teens, the eighteen teens, would wreck, uh, they wreck machinery. They would they would they would just they would get together. They would get riled up. Sometimes they would uh, attack factories. They would attack machinery. Occasionally, they killed a couple of, uh, of, uh, of mill owners with, by bushwhacking them. Um, they were named after a fictional guy. There is no Ned Ludd. That wasn't a real guy. He was just sort of... He was sort of... Uh, he was like the Guy Fox mask that they wore. And it was... Yeah, it was sort of the first it was before the la- it was it was a proto basically labor movement in the sense that it was 
the first sort of time that that workers in the UK, which is obviously where the Industrial Revolution was born, started to uh, organize, even though it was haphazard and largely sort of around mob mob uh, actions, organize against what they saw as uh, as economic changes that were going to undermine their livelihood. It, it's just, it it in the because obviously it didn't work because you know we we not only have um not only do we still have weaving machines but we we also still we also now have you know an uber for weaving machines the the, the uh, weaving machine has wi-fi and it will tell you that in order to qualify for your company health insurance you have to do 5000 steps that day uh, that that reminds me of um we once reviewed a product that was a scale um that has no numbers and instead uses something called psychology uh, but you can get an enterprise plan where it tells your boss how much you weigh in numbers. <laughs> you get the psychology, your boss gets the numbers. As the, this is some, the reason, I get the reason I kind of wanted to sort of get in, into the, through this topic is I sort of find myself asking all the time, right? Like, if we, were to sm- if we were to try to be Luddites today, you know, what, what would we smash? You smash your bloody smartphones <laughs> because they're called that even though they make you dumber. <laughs> wow, profound. That was that that sounded like such a lib tape, more like a dumb phone, am I right? Put it down and talk to each other, kids. <laughs> yeah, get off of that Instagram. <laughs> well, it's uh never show yourself, coward. They were they they sort of saw that things weren't going weren't really going to plan for them. They were this, the first organized labor movement. They did some destruction of capital stock, but like ultimately, like you say, it just it didn't, it didn't work. You know, we, we still got, the capitalism sort of persevered. Yeah, and there, there was, that was inevitable. And the thing is, is that it really does show that there is a, there is a conflict sort of between, uh, well, there, technological advancement is sort of necessary for capitalism not only to be developed but also to be superseded. Like, like that was Marx's whole point was that capitalism needed to, to develop to a level whereby labor could be, the need for labor could be reduced to the point that it, there could be equitable distribution of resources without hyper-exploitation of workers. And that means you need technology. You need these machines to exist. But well, since they're being created under capitalism, they also can cause disemployment. Uh, not necessarily, but they can. And, and even if they don't in aggregate, they absolutely do in specific industries. Like, for example, with these stockingers, you know, uh, traditional uh, classic econo- economists would say, oh, you fools, you're smashing these stocking machines, but don't you realize that by increasing uh, this uh, technological uh, thing, that that creates um, a lower cost of production, which increases with lowers prices, increases supply, and keeps the economy stronger and, and, and increases jobs in the long run. But that doesn't do anything for a specific person whose specific job is making a stocking that he no longer has. And he has no, uh, no training in anything else. And that, and in the Marxist formula, that, Tension is supposed to eventually lead to workers just saying, well, you know, you are unnecessary since we have the technology and you're literally parasites. We're going to take you. We're going we're to just take it from you. And uh, what we're seeing now with capitalism and technological capitalism reaching this really advanced stage and with automation really being a potentially massively disrupting uh, trend in the very near future is that on the other side of, of that is, yes, it creates, dis, it, it creates alienation and, and anger among people who are being displaced, but it also reduces the number of people you need to keep a comp, uh, an economy functioning, which kind of reduces the individual leverage that workers have because they're less able to withdraw their labor and thereby uh, make capitalism fall apart. Uh, I think the exception to that 
and you saw it, we we're talking about the KFC thing, is in, is in logistics. Logistics is still powered by people, and we have such an attenuated uh, supply chains now to try to keep things smooth and efficient and reduce waste and spillage and things is that you don't have uh, big warehouses full of stuff that can easily be brought to, to retailers or, or wherever. It's all sent at the last minute in order to fill specific requests, which means that if, as you saw with the KFC people, if you cut that supply off, it causes an instant crisis. Uh, we had a thing like that similar this a uh, few months ago here in the U.S. with Whole Foods, which is a fancy uh, bougie, bougie organic chain of uh, grocery stores. They got bought. Yeah, like $8 for a pineapple. Right. Well, they changed their uh, procurement process to reduce waste, and it led to uh, ma- massive shortages and just empty shelves, uh, uh, just like, like Venezuela style, just nothing. And that was just because all did they, they did was did they make their the delivery system? Yeah, and so that's really where there centipede. still is. That's where you could actually do. If you're going to smash something, that's where you would do it. If you were going to lut it up in the 21st century, it would be the gears to put something into would be in the in the logistics uh, thing because that's where because that's where you could have millions of dollars being lost instantly, where you could have massive uh, 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 disruption in a way that would be very difficult for uh, for companies to adapt to. Their best life was not lived as a kind of empowered consumer with cheaper stockings, but you know, rather as something something close to an, an empowered worker who's able to you know eat. Because if you can't. If you can eat, it doesn't matter how good the logistics are for KFC. You can't afford any. Wrong. If you don't eat, then your ambition increases. The, but I almost wonder, right? Like, it, in the in the sort of seventeenth, eighteenth centuries, like capital stocks were there was there were they were they were stuff. But even now, there's there's there are things that don't even don't seem to have logistics, right? Like, like 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 like, like companies that just sort of seem to exist to kind of just own stuff. Uh, whether that's IP, like software IP, over libs, or yeah, or CPAC owning mm-hmm. libs, or or even like, um, I, I I saw recently that there was a a hedge fund that had started um, that trades only in cryptocurrency, and that whose only who does it's all entirely automated, it has no employees, it's just a computer program, and all of its all of its clients are other computerized hedge funds with no employees. It is machines working together to cook the planet. Well, that is that is the end result of capitalism, and it's where humans are, because the whole idea is that you create a, a system that doesn't really need human intelligence to govern itself, and through technology, that's that's possible more and more. And then there will literally be nobody. You, you people can talk about guillotines, but there will be nobody that cut, uh, cut a head off because it's just algorithms. Yeah, and it's. It's this, it's this thing where it's like, it's, we have to take our lesson from the Luddites before it's too late. Yeah. It's smashing. The Luddites is used as like a slur, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's used to insult people now. Yeah. That's where we are in the discourse. Yeah, you, you, uh, you're, you're, you're resisting, you know, having your weight monitored by your boss. Mm. You're, res- you're resisting, you know, this, these, this cute, fun, new cinematic universe where King of the Hill gets fucking... You know, where his like, ass gets beaten off by Thor's hammer, and you're resisting this wonderful new world where that will open up to like high frequency trading robots trading with other high frequency trading robots in a way that will just extinguish all life on Earth. Y'all, you're, you're such a fucking you're such a fucking luddite. Why do you hate progress? Yeah, like you know how why are you so backward in thinking that like you know having secure job is a good thing when in fact the future is being flexible and working delivery during the day and Uber at night. These these people like in the 17th, 18th centuries, these like the this group this group of Luddites were unable to be infiltrated because they all knew each other from the factory floor. Right? Like but now you know, if you're gonna get a group of people together to like go and disrupt KFC's supply chain, the question I never can quite answer is how how do you get this group of how do you get people together to trust one another? 
who've never met because they all doing Fiverr work. Yeah, just doing fly doing Fiverr work. That's the I don't know. That's the question I've been asking. Uh, uh, that's like a, a to me a central crisis and a central uh, irresolvable at at this point. A dilemma for organizing in the 21st century, and I wish I had an answer. I have no, I don't. Uh, blockchain, maybe it's the way because you know you you have to have an authenticated transaction to be in the blockchain, right? So, no, you know what? Like you joke about this, but Absolutely. actually, like I spoke to someone who was very serious about this the other day. Like, so she works in tech PR, um, and she was kind of just saying that, oh yeah, you know, like everyone kind of thinks that blockchain is just used for like, you know. Um, cryptocurrency CEOs and stuff. But actually, like, there's so many purposes. I was like, oh, okay, okay. like, tell me, tell, tell me, tell me what those purposes are. And like, like, she paused for a very long time. I was like, well, you know. Um, and then she came onto the whole thing of like, well, people are always very concerned about workers' rights when it comes to um, freelancing and gig economy stuff. But on the blockchain, because you can't get rid of anything, um, and because it's all kind of like sequential, like it will be useful for like workers organization so in the long term the blockchain is going to be like this revolutionary force and like said of this like with complete lack of like complete unawareness of naivety if the blockchain can't if you can't get rid of anything from the blockchain then in theory like it should be accessible to everyone and when you have something like that the people with the most power and resources will automatically have more power than the people not so it's actually like an even worse way to organize workers. I think that sort of goes back to something Matt was saying earlier, right? Where you've got this, this, you've got this thing. You've got, they're sort of neutral in themselves. You need them. You need that technological development. But at the same time, it, it's, it's how they're used. So a, a, and so this is this, the perfect example of, of this is the, um, that company that wants to be Uber for buses, Skedaddle, trying to end tipping by so you can rate every interaction you have with another human on a on a on a blockchain, um, and based on your rating of that interaction, give them they get amount amount of money. Yeah, that's an enormously like you know, unequalizing and not to mention ridiculously stupid, cruel way to organize society. You know, you could either have the Uber for buses where every interaction is rated. And, you know, if, you, if you're not sort of polite to the guy whose Maserati you're parking, then you, don't, you can't afford your meal of flaming hot Cheetos and your movie of flaming hot Cheetos. You know, <laughs> you're, but if this could be used by sort of, you know, anything from insurrectionists to unions to right to, so that they, they can know everything about one another, they can trust one another, and, you know, they can organize without being infiltrated. Yeah, and I mean, the thing to remember is, is it's not like earlier organizers weren't infiltrated even by people that they knew. Uh, like, there was a, a few years after the, the Luddite uprising and riots began, there was an attempted sort of uh, working-class coup attempt uh, in England that got uh, thwarted by a spy. So you can still, there's still a chance that you can get... Uh, get owned even when you know people because as uh, plenty of rappers will say you never really know anyone uh so we've been recording for like a, a life age of the earth uh and we all have things to do so uh, we don't actually all have things to do matt has things to do. <laughs> so uh matt thank you very much for coming on no problem thank you for having me all right later everybody all right later Cheers, guys. Guys.